Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Hello, everybody. Um, thank you so much for, for coming along. Um, as was introduced, I'm Ben Worthy. I'm a lecturer in politics based at Birkbeck College, University of London. And uh, for the purposes of the talk today, I'm also uh, the UK's independent reporting mechanism for their second national action plan of the Open Government Partnership. And I shall explain every single word that I just said to you, if you uh, don't understand what it is I've just said. Um, now, just as a, a qualifier, uh, this is a 130-page report. And probably each of the 21 commitments in there requires a lecture of its own. So I'm going to be quite brief today. Um, and then myself and Tim will answer any of your questions about this. Uh, if you are curious, you're, of course, welcome to read the report. There's going to be a blog on the website with a link there. And also, um, I'm going to write a few blogs about different aspects of it. In front of you, you have uh, just a, a short summary of where we are. So. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Open Government Partnership was created in 2011 um, by eight different founding member countries, including the UK, the US and Brazil. And the idea is to use this process as a way of ratcheting up openness across the countries involved. So what happens is the countries join the Open Government Partnership, having met certain minimum criteria, and then they make a series of commitments in terms of open government policies within a specific time frame. And as they go along, they inform everybody of how they're doing. And then they are independently assessed, which is where I come in. So the UK government issued its second national action plan in 2013. Its first national action plan was independently assessed by Kevin Dunyon, who used to be a Scottish Information Commissioner. I looked at the second national action plan, which was launched in October 2013. And it's uh, nearly all the way through. I looked at the uh, 21 commitments made there. This was created in cooperation with uh, civil society groups, and the UK government uh, gave a series of updates as it went along. I then spent um, January, February, March of this year conducting interviews and assessing um, how they were doing. Uh, just a nerdy but important point, and I'm full of nerdy but important points. Um, this is about the implementation of the policies, but not their impact. So what I'm looking at is whether the policy has been rolled out, but not what sort of effect it's had. That's a, a different issue that I'll kind of touch on at the end. OK, so I'm going to structure this. I'm just getting into teaching mode, because teaching starts next week. So we're going to look at it like feedback on an essay. What went well? What went not so well? And what can we do in the future? So let's be positive first. What went well? What were the eye-catching parts? The 21 commitments, four of them were eye-catching kind of things that make the headlines. And these were the ones that have been pushed quite a long way by the government. The first is beneficial ownership, which you've probably all heard of. This is the idea that uh, the government, as of April 2016, will organise so that there will be an open public register of UK registered businesses so that you can find out who has significant control or ownership of that particular business, and it will be published by Companies House as of April 2012, 2016. The second related uh, eye-catching initiative was over extractive transparency, and this was involved with transposing EU law about companies based in the UK that are involved in extraction of natural resources, and it also involved joining a non-governmental organisation that commits to report on these things. There's a lot of significant moves around aid transparency, so we can find out 
who is giving what to whom around the world. And this isn't just about government departments, but also involved uh, encouraging private bodies uh, to publish data. And then finally, a bit less to do with uh, anti-corruption uh, and open data is an anti-corruption strategy, which is the first ever cross-government anti-corruption policy. What can this do? Well, here's just one way in which this could develop. This is um, Chris Taggart's prototype site called Who Controls It, which hopes to show us, as of April 2016, who owns which company where at the push of a button. Alongside these eye-catching initiatives, there's also been progress in other areas which don't necessarily make the headlines. And this is things like local data. There's some interesting developments with the Open Communities Hub. And there you can find out all sorts of information from homelessness to help to buy to local council tax revenues. And here's an example here. And then one of the really important areas, what is unsung, is the backroom work around open data. Some of the building blocks of open data, things like records management, opening up legislation and turning that into open data. There's been some really interesting advances there, pushed by uh, the National Archives in particular. And then there's the idea of infrastructures, and the Cabinet Office has done some very interesting work mapping out where open data is and creating a sort of iterative and flexible information infrastructure. So that's what went well. What went not so well? One of the big areas of disappointment, um, particularly for civil society groups I spoke with, was around open policy making. Now, it's been the aim of successive governments since the 1990s, if not before, to open up the policy making and decision making process to get the public more involved. Now, there was a, an initial commitment to five different experimental case studies. Unfortunately, only three of those took place, and there seemed to be a mixture of resource issues and politics happening here. But it was an area in which I think a lot of people hoped there'd be more progress made than there was. One of my recommendations here was actually, even though there wasn't as much progress as hoped, it would be interesting to find out why there wasn't. Sometimes things not working can teach us as much about uh, things as when it works. Just taking a step backwards, I think one of the big gaps in the National Action Plan was the idea of accountability and participation. Lots of these steps went a long way towards opening up various areas, but they did less in terms of encouraging government accountability and encouraging people to participate in it. Um, there were some interesting attempts to encourage people. Some encountered some difficulties uh, over organisation, restructuring, and also over issues such as privacy with the data um, scandal over the NHS. I think it's important to bear in mind that open data published on its own doesn't necessarily mean accountability and participation. And it's very important to link up these new sources of data with both old and new tools and new ways of getting involved in politics. On its own, it won't necessarily generate all the things that you want. And of course, as technology moves so quickly, it becomes uh, less and less easy to explain why this isn't happening. As well as where it could be improved, there's also a question I was asked about what's missing here. What areas were not mentioned in the National Action Plan? Two of the issues uh, that had great salience, particularly as the National Action Plan developed, was lobbying and surveillance. Uh, Transparency International made the point that um, lobbying was one of the least open and understood areas in the UK, and uh, 
a cause of many intractable problems for governments of all complexions. Uh, and just at around the time the National Action Plan was issued, there was, of course, controversy over Snowden and the NSA leaks and the impact of that. So I think surveillance is another area. Tim um, has been involved in uh, creating a forum where they've crowdsourced various ideas around openness, one of which, of course, was the coverage of private companies doing work on behalf of government, which I think is set to be another big issue. And perhaps I'll leave this question hanging. What about freedom of information? Some things taking place outside of the National Action Plan may have an influence on what happens within it. And, of course, there's an independent commission looking into various parts of how the Freedom of Information Act works, and that may have an influence. As well as what's missing, another question is who's missing? Who's missing out of this plan? And I think one important thing to do in future plans is to reflect the changing nature of British politics. There needs to be the involvement of the devolved bodies, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales. Both Northern Ireland and Scotland have actually been pursuing their own open data policies independently, and these need to be brought into any future uh, action plans. And, of course, local government, perhaps, as it's granted greater powers, needs to be much more closely involved, especially as local government is often a site of very interesting experiments and innovations with open data that don't necessarily get noticed. So I want to end on a slightly philosophical note, so just bear with me. Um, one of the things I very strongly recommended was that there is assessment of the impact of these policies. As I said, I'm only looking at implementation, but I think there needs to be scrutiny that's regular and detailed and rigorous of what exactly is happening here. Something like beneficial ownership could have all sorts of effects. And I think there needs to be scrutiny either by a network of academics or by parliament and select committees to look into what's happening over the next few years across these policies. But here comes the philosophy bit. I think as you move on to this third National Action Plan, we need to start thinking a bit more broadly about what is it all about? What are all these different commitments and these open government policies and open data policies supposed to do? What, what is the vision of government, citizens and politics that kind of underlines and and holds together all these different ideas. And to put it in a more political way, who benefits and who loses from open data and open government, and what can be done about it? So um, just before I hand over to Tim, here's a, a few links. Uh, the first thing I want to do is say thank you. Thank you to you for your Friday lunchtime. Thank you also to everybody who took part and helped me with this. I've had a great deal of advice and help from government from civil society, from all sorts of people. And I couldn't possibly have written this 130-page report without their help. So thank you very much to everybody. Um, you can read the full report there. There's a link to the uh, Open Government Civil Society Network, more about the Open Government Partnership, and there's my email address there. So please feel free to email me with any thoughts, ideas, comments, complaints, criticisms, or insights you've had as I've been speaking. And over to Tim. Thank you. Great, so um, thanks to everybody for coming along. Uh, my name's Tim Hughes. I'm Open Government Program Manager at a charity and a think tank called Involve. Um, but uh, I guess my, my role today is as coordinator of the UK Open Government Civil Society Network. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. Um, first of all, I want to start off by saying a big thank you to, to Ben and to the um, IRM team for putting together this report. I guess one of the most important elements of the OGP is the whole independent reporting mechanism process. 
and the fact that government can be held to account for whether it kind of meets its commitments um, at the end of uh, action plan cycle or not. So it's incredibly important that we have kind of people like uh, Ben who kind of who put in the put in the time to to come up with these reports and kind of really get a deep insight into how far the um, the commitments included within an OGP action plan have actually been implemented or not, and also. Um, uh, on the process of developing an action plan, how kind of strong um, was that process in terms of the level of engagement and um, kind of how wide and deep it went in terms of uh, kind of bringing other parts of government or civil society into the process. Um, so as I said, I'm coordinator of something called the UK Open Government Civil Society Network. The, um, the network was set up in response to the government joining the OGP uh, back in 2011. And my organisation involved has uh, coordinated it for the last three years now. So the network is essentially a group of um, transparency, participation and accountability uh, reformers um, from civil society, including kind of representatives of civil society organisations and individual citizens um, who are working to try to get the UK to, to make the strongest set of commitments as, uh, kind of under its membership of the OGP as possible. So we both play the role um, when needed of collaborating with the government on so actually working up the detail of what commitments should look like and then also uh, working with them on implementing them. Uh, but then also when needed on really challenging the government and uh, kind of playing the advocacy role of um, identifying areas where the government isn't, uh, either isn't proposing commitments or isn't making progress or in some cases, um, like as seems to be the case on freedom of information at the moment, looks to be going in the, entirely in the wrong direction. So we have that kind of dual role of um, kind of one foot inside collaborating, uh, one foot outside really challenging and holding the government to account. Uh, so as Ben said, we were uh, very significantly involved in the development of the, the second action plan, which is the action plan uh, Ben has just um, spoken through. Um, so we, together with uh, teams within, within the government, kind of actually worked on the, the detail of the, the commitments uh, or the majority of the commitments that were included in the, the last action plan. So um, it, in some ways, it the process itself was a, a positive, um, positive example of how you can open up a policy process, and that, I guess, is one of the um, one of the values we see of the of the open government partnership, is that it really places that emphasis on government, civil society, citizens working together to to form these action plans. So, of course, the commitments are a really important outcome of that, but actually the process itself is a really important stage in kind of modelling how this can work to, to wider government. So, in the time I've got left, I wanted to quickly share some reflections on um, the top five recommendations um, which are included in the report and tell you a little bit about what we've been doing from a civil society perspective and from working with the government to try to, um, to try to address them for the new action plan which is currently being developed and will be published in the new year. So the first recommendation in the report is around having deeper engagement throughout the OGP process. So as I said, with the last action plan, we, uh, we did a pretty good job of government civil society working together on the development of commitments. But then people move roles, um, Kind of the perhaps the momentum drops and kind of throughout the delivery of commitments, um, it can be harder to kind of keep that pro uh, process going on an ongoing basis. Uh, so 
particularly with this, with this next action plan, we're going to place a particular emphasis on how can we maintain that engagement through, throughout the process? How can we ensure that government and civil society on all of the commitments are, are working in a similar way to, to properly kind of scrutinise how they're delivered and also implement them? So in the last action plan, we had a joint um, reporting process where by every six months, government and civil society would come together to, uh, to agree a progress report for that commitment. So we're looking at ways to kind of take that to the, the next kind of level uh, for the next action plan. And how can we do that on a much more kind of an ongoing basis and uh, in a way that's accessible for kind of wider society to see where exactly a commitment has got to at any particular point. The um, second recommendation is around widening engagement with uh, civil society. And this has always been a kind of very kind of key point for us within the kind of civil society network. And uh, well, indeed, it's kind of why the civil society network was formed in the first place. Um, it kind of the, the network formed itself to, to demand from governments that kind of that equal role of, of um, uh, developing the commitments and the national action plans together. Uh, so from, uh, from the network's point of view, we've been doing lots of work over the past year to expand the number of civil society organisations and individuals involved. Uh, we've been having kind of workshops around the, the country and uh, developing something we've called the Open Government Manifesto, which I'll talk a little bit more about in, in a bit. But I guess this is it's a good time to, to make a plea to, um, to get involved in it. And you can, Ben has conveniently included our link up on the website here. So if you go to www.opengovernment.org.uk, you'll be able to find all of the kind of the backstory to the network, links to, to how to get involved in it. And uh, it's, it's intended as a kind of an open network for anybody from civil society to join. So please do have a look at that. The third point, or the third recommendation, was around kind of wider engagement with government, and particularly uh, devolved, uh, the devolved nations, as Ben has already kind of alluded to. Uh, so this, again, has been a really important point for, for us from a civil society perspective. Um, the OGP, when it was first set up, was um, set up with kind of a vision of, kind of nation states joining it in mind. Um, which works for some countries, but obviously for countries like the UK, where there's quite a complex um, uh, a complex arrangement of, uh, kind of different devolved nations having responsibilities for different parts of policy. It gets incredibly complex and in, in actual fact quite a lot of the commitments the UK has uh, placed in its first and second action plans wouldn't apply to the devolved nations. So it's not truly a, a national action plan. Uh, so we've been working to set up uh, devolved um, um, open government networks in each of the, in each of the nations. And we've got to a place where, with the new action plan, there will be um, actions will be contributed by each of the devolved nations. So Northern Irish Civil Society will be working with the Northern Irish Executive now to to come up with the the actions or commitments that they they want the Northern Ireland to commit to. Likewise, Scotland and Wales, all uh, coming together into the um, the final UK action plan. The, the fourth point um, or the fourth recommendation was around focusing on key gaps and um, this is this is a particularly kind of um, the citizen engagement or the participation element and the accountability element are two steps of I guess the the open government journey where we've um, we've spoken a lot 
but it's always been incredibly difficult to come up with really kind of smart commitments. Uh, so particularly on, I guess, when you're looking at open data, um, the transparency elements, it's relatively easy to come up with um, commitments that um, uh, kind of ensure that a piece of information is released. Once you get to, um, once you get into participation accountability, then the the things that matter the most tend to be the softer side of things. It's not about whether um, it's not about kind of whether government is engaging. It's about why government is engaging that really really matters. So um, there, there's that ongoing kind of uh, issue of trying to to work out how to come up with um, properly kind of smart commitments, which I think is partly where we fell into the um, fell into the problem of the open policy making commitment in the last action plan. Uh, we focused it on kind of a, a commitment where we thought we could get some culture change by piloting some new methods of kind of making um, open policy making, but at the same time that perhaps left a bit too uh, too much wiggle room and it wasn't specific enough for um, for us to really hold the government to account for its delivery of it. So. Um, if anybody has any kind of bright ideas for how you can get some really strong um, commitments around participation or accountability, then um, please, please do let us know. And we've had this um, open government manifesto process where we've been crowdsourcing ideas for the new action plan. So our hope is that that, um, that has kind of helped us to get a certain amount of the, the way along the, um, uh, along the way of kind of solving that issue for the next action plan. And finally, the, um, the focus on kind of key issues like lobbying and surveillance. Um, again, these are kind of issues that are obviously kind of uh, front and centre of lots of different civil society um, organisations, um, minds, and are things that are, are very much in the Open Government Manifesto, which is our kind of collection of um, commitments that we're proposing for the new action plan. So that manifesto is being published on the 1st of September, so I think that's, uh, sorry, 1st of October, which is uh, Wednesday next week, um, or Thursday next week, possibly. Um, so that will include um, a 28 um, kind of model commitments that the Open Government Network has sourced through a number of um, workshops around the country and also an online platform. Um, and so we collected 79 ideas in total and those have been condensed into 28 commitments that we want to see the UK government take forward in its new action plan and those certainly include things around surveillance and lobbying and another a number of other kind of yeah, key priority issues for civil society like freedom of information um, like um, uh, greater transparency over public contracting so that's kind of where we're up to at the moment the um, the process of developing the new action plan is uh, kind of getting started as we speak. So if you're interested in that, please do have a look at our website. Come and speak to me or speak to my colleague Josephine, who's just over there. And uh, we can tell you kind of how, to, how you can become a bit more involved in that. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.